Let's rock. If you're new to the tribe, we've got Rich behind the mix. My name is Yanni Ballmeister and we are Unity Gym, experts at turning gym people into athletes. This episode is brought to you by the Unified Movement System, the only online program that balances strength, flexibility, and fitness in an efficient 60-minute workout so you can unleash your inner athlete. Get daily coaching by us, plus our epic gym and home UMS programs, extensive exercise library, private coaching group, and weekly coaching calls. As a valued listener, use the link in the description to get your first month free. Before we get started, I always like to give a big warm welcome if you're watching on the Unity Gym YouTube channel. Remember to hit that like button and support the channel and subscribe if you like what you see. I'm super excited to announce that joining us today, we have Phil White from ADPT Physio. Phil started work originally in the fitness industry in 2012 as a remedial massage therapist and then went on to study exercise and sports science and a doctor of physiotherapy postgraduate degree. Now he runs ADPT Physio, where they specialize in delivering the athlete rehab experience to everyone. Phil has been a massage therapist to the GWS Giants AFL team, Olympians, Paralympians, and a number of other professional athletes. How are you going, mate? So well, always stoked to be on these, just, yeah. Love talking about this stuff. So hopefully when you go in to see any health practitioner, you can ask the right questions. So. And that's what we're here for today. This is the 2021 Unity Gym Tribe Q&A podcast series where we put the question out to you. What do you want us to answer? And you responded uh, massively. And we uh, narrowed that down to as many as we could get through. Uh, and this one comes to us. This is actually two questions. It's uh, it, We've decided to combine two. It's a last minute decision, but I think that there's a lot of parallels we can draw here. First of all, Peter Adamson from the UMS uh, Movement Mastermind Group asked, what factors are at play when you keep getting new injuries that don't heal, uh, i.e. diet or overtraining, et cetera? And what's the best way to train sustainably injury-free? There's so much we can dive into there. And then second, uh, Sherry Larkins from the UMS Movement Mastermind Group asked, how long does it take to heal post-injury or surgery? And what are the known loading limits? So we're going to answer both of those questions in one massive show today. Uh, and so to hit it off, let's have a load management talk. <laughs> yeah, love it. Um, this is, yeah, I really like these questions because it's kind of hitting on something that I think is often done a bit poorly in the current um, medical system where often you'll you'll go in, you try it, and there's a, often you don't have too much time with a practitioner. They'll often try and give you something that will be like satisfying and change things short term. Um, and the long-term bigger picture stuff is kind of often left um, out because it just... Uh, it, it takes a bit more time, takes a bit more sort of understanding of all the other factors in your life. And um, yes, yeah, so I think this is, is really good trying to look at those bigger picture things that make a huge difference on um, long-term outcomes, not just do you feel better in six weeks when we retest this one movement. So, um, and before we do get stuck into that, like just remember that this isn't specific medical advice. Like this is giving you some good context that you can then work with a professional because it is so important, like hearing if you like when you get some symptoms, you type into Google or you, you listen to a podcast, you're like, oh yeah, I have this symptom and I've you know experienced this. I must have X diagnosis, but there's a lot of complexity in this. That's why I was at uni for 10 years studying this stuff. Like it's just, there's so much specificity that you, it's really important to um, make sure you, you know exactly what you're working with because um, yeah, it does change management. So absolutely. So load management. Load management. This is something that we talk about a lot on the podcast. And if you are, if you're, you know, if you've been following for a while, uh, load management is a term that we use to talk about, you know, how, how you 
prescribe exercise essentially you know yeah. the, the, all there's, there's a, a myriad of different variables that are involved in that you can manipulate to manage load uh one of them that the, the most common are you know how many sets you do uh how many reps you do so that uh t time under tension is is the first one that's your volume uh the, the also can be the amount of exercise amount of workouts you do each week yep so uh, terminology we call that one macro load yep macro yep. load and then you've got your uh intensity which is the the actual weight that you lift or if you're into calisthenics the difficulty of the movement progression that you're doing uh, which is putting a specific um, uh, load on the body uh, and then you've also got things that are not so obvious like range of movement is a is a loading variable you know if you're if you're doing very deep um, uh, squats uh, it's going to be a lot more difficult uh, and complex for the body then and there's other variables that need to come into play like your flexibility and mobility yep. uh, levers levers you know levers leverage um, and then, uh, and then if, in comparison to if you're doing like a partial range squat or a half range squat or a, or a, a 90, 90 lunge instead, um, or a box squat or something like that, you know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of different variables. Then you've got tempo. Tempo is a load variable that we can manipulate to, to alter the, 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 the load exposure to the body, uh, the time under tension, things like that. Rest is a load variable that we can manipulate. Uh, then there's of course, inter and intraset overloading variables, um, grouping exercises together to make, um, increase the efficiency of the workout, uh, pausing at, um, um, you know, yeah. difficult points, lots of things, lots <laughs> and lots of things that we can, that, that we can manipulate. But, you know, um, going back, circling back to Peter's question here, what factors are at play when, when you keep getting new injuries that don't seem to heal? The, 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 the most basic and simplest form is, uh, generally poor load management is, is, is going to be a major factor there. Like you're obviously doing something that is overloading the body, but, um, what we, we had a really good conversation recently where we had uh, a good friend of ours, Tony Bataji, uh, um, Dr. Tony Bataji, some people are, are calling him now, um, uh, on the show recently. And we, we, we highlighted that. You know, exercise is a stress to the body, and there are all these other different stress mechanisms uh, that. And and uh, Peter's uh, mentioned it here. You know, um, uh, diet is a stress mechanism to the body. You know, depending on the types of food that you're eating and the quantities of those foods, and overtraining or, or training stimulus is a stress to the body. But there are other stresses. You know, there are uh, uh, relationship stress. There were there is you know um, uh, work related stress or financial stress. Um, the, uh, sleep. Uh, stress if you're having really poor quality sleep uh, uh, and recovery uh, and so um, all of that plays a role yeah. you know so some really big picture things going on here but I want to just take things back a little bit and, and talk about those two words that you've um, used here with first off with injuries like thinking about different types of injuries there's typically going to be an like acute injuries or um, kind of more chronic injuries. So when, it, when we think about acute injuries, it's going to be the things where there's a really clear mechanism of the injury, where maybe it's going to be like a hammy tear when you see a sprinter or someone playing sports, clutch the hammy, you've got a tear there and there are different grades of tears. So there's kind of specific um, ideas that we have around um, rehabbing a acute injury, but then there's going to be the chronic things where there's maybe not a really obvious mechanism and it's going to be a buildup over time of certain things. So um, load management does come into play uh, for both of these, like if you've been, if you're really fatigued and then you try and sprint, um, that muscle that could have otherwise handled the sprinting will be affected by the stress and the, the load that you've done in the past. Um, but yeah, typically, like particularly when you're looking at these kind of chronic or, um, I mean, chronic's not the best word, like persistent 
issues or things that are insidious onset. So insidious onset basically means where there's not a really clear um, specific incident. Um, then that's where we really look at like, hey, what are the bigger picture things going in your life to get an idea of um, what's caused this injury? And now I just really want to look at that word of um, injuries that don't heal. So looking at heal here, because it's really, really key to understand that um, what like it's really clear to be specific what we mean by healing, because a lot of people have in their mind that um, with an injury, it basically you get a you get damage to a structure and you're going to experience um pain and disability until that structure goes back to its pre-injury condition. But we'll go into a, a we'll do a pain science episode where we'll go into more detail on this. But basically there's it it that's a really old school way of, of thinking and a poor understanding of um basically function and 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 contemporary pain science. So it's really like if you were to scan, if you get imaging and this is where imaging can be really unhelpful because sometimes it gives you a bit of a um poor idea of what's going on because it might show that you've got some um pathology so you've got like a um you know cartilage that's been um that you've got some cartilage damage or you've got like some um, old scar tissue or something like that and you might think hey i found the source of all pain and all um, injury but that's not always going to be the factor that is actually causing you issues because basically everyone over the age of 30 starts to <laughs> if you scan them they'll start to have some um, bits and pieces just like you have wrinkles on your skin when you get older like you will have some appropriate age-related and load-related change. And there are so many injuries where if you um, you can have these, like, yeah, if you if you scan these people and they have some serious arthritis or serious whatever's going on, um, like a lot of people will be totally asymptomatic and totally and function um, and pain-free uh, because it's just not that simple that of, you know, we structures get damaged and we need to get them back to their pre-injury condition. So just that idea of healing, I want you to think about your healing is getting back to um, the activities and the um, like that you want to be able to do and like be able to do your goals and um, yeah, and having appropriate levels of pain. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really important point, and and it's very hard not to not to go too deep and then bleed into our pain science talk that mm. we've got coming up uh, in another episode. But there is not always a um, a direct correlation between the the the, the pain that you're feeling and uh, whether the 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 injury or issue has repaired enough that you could return to your sort of um, um, uh, everyday life or exercise, you know, and. The reality is I used, I, I like the, the, I used to sort of explain this to my clients uh, using the analogy because I was a mechanical engineer working on light automotive um, before I was a, a, a personal trainer. And, you know, I used to say, like, if you looked at an old car that, uh, that looked beautiful, fully restored, absolutely beautiful, drives amazingly, if you peeled off the paint, you'd see, you know, restorative bog and, and you'd see that there's been work done all over the car and it, it, it never returns to its fully um, new um, pristine, pristine <laughs> yeah. look. It's like, you know, you make it look brand new and, and it functions perfectly. But if you started to peel back the layers, you can see all the bangs and dings yeah. and things over the many years that that car has been in circulation, you know, but that doesn't mean that it's, it, it should run crappy, you know, yeah. uh, and, and our bodies are kind of the same. Like you, 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 every time you hurt yourself, your body adapts and, 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 and remodels and heals, and it probably won't ever look exactly the same again, yeah. but and that doesn't mean that it doesn't with, like, perform. With athletes, like if you basically with, with older people now, they're scanning athletes, like ex-athletes, it's like everyone's going to have this change. It's a sign that you've used your body. It's a sign that you've loaded the temp tendons as a side that, or, or structures as a side that you've 
you've been strong and active and that's yeah. a good thing. <laughs> in, many, in many cases, you, you actually come out stronger on the other side, yeah. you know, the, the, the bones remodel, the tissues remodel harder, you know, that's what it's all about. It's like callousing yeah, the, the body. This idea you know? of, um, like uh, Nassim Taleb uh, coined the, the phrase anti-fragile, which was kind of used in the economics context originally, but I really like it as an, as a framework to think about the body where if you think about what fragility is, it's something that, you know, does not withstand, um, stress very well. And when it, um, doesn't with, when it has a stress that's too much for it, um, imposed upon it, it's going to crumble and it's going to fail. Um, but if you think about what the opposite of, um, fragile is, it's not robustness. And a lot of people have this kind of, um, this framework of their body is like you, you make it more robust, but what happens with something that is robust is it just needs like you wear it down over time and it will eventually will crumble and fail. But what's really cool about the human body is it's actually, um, anti-fragile. So that's the true opposite of, um, fragility, which is that stress actually makes it stronger. But as I've, I've talked about before, like exercise and stress is, it's all about dosage and just like medication. If you take, um, you know, the right amount of medication, you're going to have a good health outcome for whatever that medication's for, but you can overdose and yep. you can, um, you can take too much and you can have really bad outcomes. So that, I want you to think about stress um, and exercise stress, particularly as this idea um, in the context of anti-fragility, which is if you, um, if you don't stress the structures, then they will get weaker and you'll become less capable and you will become more fragile over time. But if you stress appropriately, then you actually get stronger and you become more resilient. And yeah. And I think this is, this is like a good context and then start thinking about um, the factors when you keep getting um, new injuries and how to train sustainably because what often happens in fact when thinking about predictors of injury um they've done so many studies into look trying to find like objective or subjective metrics to basically be able to predict injury and it's really hard like that you would have thought that you know having a certain amount of like a certain strength testing in your hamstrings would mean you're unlikely to get um hamstring tears or like you'd, you'd think that we'd be able to really predict who's going to get injured and who isn't but the one thing that always comes out on top about um, predictor of injury is previous injury. Because one of the things that often happens with injury is that you take time out of what you're doing. You start to decondition um, to the regular activities that you want to be able to do. So if, for example, someone who's training in the gym, um, if you're used to training five days a week with the unity program, if you get injured and then you take the next, um, uh, you know, three weeks off, uh, that's enough time for your body to start being like realizing, Hey, we don't need these structures so much. Um, or we don't need to be quite as, um, anti-fragile in, in these particular, you know, uh, tendons, ligaments, muscles, bones, cartilage, um, and you start to become deconditioned to the movement. And that's why I'm sure everyone after lockdown has got back into training, uh, and, and realized that everything's heavier and feels harder yeah. <laughs> than it used to be because your body will basically decondition. And, um, and that's what is so common with injuries, particularly with like old school approaches to rehab where people would pluck you out of whatever you're doing, give you a really targeted, focused, specific exercise program that for an example, if you just, if you got a hamstring tear, it's going to be just doing a whole bunch of hamstring exercises and doing nothing else. Um, but then if you get back into sport and you haven't been conditioning your um, body the to your body. the rest of your body, then it's, you're going to have another weak link that's going to go. And then it's this like, um, these, this like kind of cycle of <laughs> you, you get injured, you rehab that one area, but then you decondition everything else. And then now you're, um, decondition for your activity so you do what you used to be able to do but suddenly that's excessive to what your body can handle yeah. and then you go down and down and down and this is what happened for me when i was um, playing ultimate frisbee for 11 years is like at international level is like i didn't have this understanding and i'd see physios or chiros or whatever's and they'd be like oh no i just need to take some time off and then like 
yeah, it, and it just got to this this stage where I was like, what the hell? I can't even play this sport that, <laughs> yeah. because every time I try and go back, I'd injure myself. But yeah. as I've developed this understanding and as we've sort of started to realize with um, this modern approach to rehab, like it's it's so important to treat injuries as an opportunity to work on, like to, to stay as fit and as capable as you can for your desired activity and work on those weak points to make sure that when you come back, you're not deconditioned and yeah. you're actually going to be stronger. Double down do. on the things you can do. Yeah. I found that really interesting talking to Tony the other day. Yeah. Uh, what was it called? Um, uh, catabolic crisis. Catabolic crisis. You know, we've got, we, we know um, very clearly that uh, after the age of 50, we start to lose muscle mass at an alarming rate and strength. Muscle mass was one to two kilos a, a year and strength was 4% or, or three, one, to four, yeah. three to 4% um, uh, per year. Uh, but what we what what we thought was that it was a, a linear regression, and and um, the modern research has disproven that theory now and shown that it's it's due to periods of abstinence from exercise stimulus due to an injury or an illness or something like that, like bed rest. And he gave us the example of um, you know post fifty years old, uh, one week of bed rest due to an I- I- illness or injury requires six months of uh, intensive resistance training to recover the muscle mass and strength, uh, which is quite shocking, you know, and you can see how this could really, really play into, uh, come into effect and, and play into your injury recurrence rate. Um, because you get an injury and, and your natural, and I get this too, my natural ability, my natural instinct is, okay, well, I'm just going to let this heal and focus on other things in life. Like maybe double down on, on work or double down on spending some time with my family or, you know, do something else that's really important. That's high on your values and priorities list, uh, whilst you heal per se from your injury. Uh, but what you're doing there is m- way more damage to your to your um, system than that injury probably did, you know, um, yeah. because you're just deconditioning at a yeah. really quick I, rate. I think it's really like it, like tissue healing times probably is quite relevant to this conversation around like what um can what tissues um, remodel at what rates. But and, I think and, that and this is where we can transition. And we we'll also into transition to the post question. like healing post injury with um, post surgery. Um, but. I just want you to understand that like with these tissue healing times, like, you know, there's certain, they say like, oh, you know, a muscle tear will be fixed by three to six weeks and a tendon will be slower and then a cartilage will be slower again um, and ligaments and bone. But the, the thing to understand is that you're in a constant state of, um, of remodeling. Um, you're in a constant state of tissue turnover, sorry, I should say. So you're constantly building new tissue and you're constantly um, basically re recycling that um that tissue as well so your body's going to be in this flux of like well you know for, for muscle for example be hypertrophy and atrophy um and so as you do get older um you start to have it's a bit harder to get as much um <laughs> hypertrophy and you get a bit more atrophy and that's why you do get these decreases in muscle size and strength um but yeah certainly when you don't have the stimulus to um get that balance right so limiting atrophy and increasing hypertrophy that's where you start to get that um that down over time so it's just really important to understand that it is like you need that stimulus that of um of load to um yeah to get that and and with transitioning to sherry lark before we do that very quickly i just want to give my two cents on from a macro perspective, um, summing up Peter Adams, uh, Adamson's question here. So what factors are at play if you keep um, injuring yourself? Very first, I want, you, you need to address the load management question. You know, are you just simply ha- um, mismanaging load? Are you doing something that's beyond your current capability? Are you doing something that's beyond your lifestyle 
capability, meaning, you know, uh, I'm not getting a lot of sleep and I'm still trying to really belt myself in the gym, or I've got a hell of a lot of stress at work right now. That's really quite intense. And I'm just trying to go and, and, and make up for it by training really hard in the gym. Uh, you know, eliminate that first load management yeah. based on first, what your capability is, what your body's conditioned to and able to do, you know, there's no shortcuts with training. You have to layer upon layer upon layer of workout that progressively overloads the body at the right pace for your environment, for your lifestyle, for all the other factors that are at play. If you can answer that with a nice, uh, yes, I'm managing this properly, then that's your, your first step, your first tick. The next one is, um, how much are you recovering? What's your recovery, um, protocol program, you know, are you, do you have, um, heart, you know, we talked about the other day with Tony undulating between hard days and, and, and easy days, you know, what do you do on your rest days? Are you, are you literally lying on the couch watching Netflix or are you playing a sport, a golf game, or is that your re like recovery? You know, look at that because if you're training really hard, then rest days are really important, yeah. you know? Um, and you know, we've had a question that we answered earlier. Um, can I just do cardio on my rest days if, if I'm usually doing strength training? No, if you're training really Really hard, then cardio is going to tip you over the edge and probably push you into an overtrained state. If you're training at a low intensity, then that's probably fine. Go for a walk, do yeah. a nice low. Uh, yeah, I think like this is a good chance time to talk about that. Like with getting stronger with all of the structures, not just muscles. Like you, you have stimulus and then you have the remodeling. So it's not like while you're training, your muscles are actually growing at the time or your bones getting more dense at the time. It's within the recovery that your body gets a chance to then you've had this stimulus and your, your brain's making these constant calculations of with the available energy balance that I have, where am I going to send the resource, these precious resources for my body to, um, and, and if, and it's pretty low on the, um, as we talked about with Tony, like it's like in healing injuries in the context of keeping your brain alive, keeping your <laughs> organs, organs kind of functioning, yeah. it's pretty low on the priority list. So if you're in an energy deficit, so either you're overtraining, you're not eating well enough and you're not getting um, you know, enough sleep. So if those recovery metrics are all out, you're basically not going to be, you might think that like, oh, I've just got to train really hard. I've just got to train really hard. Well, like that stimulus, you're not getting paid off with the, yeah. <laughs> with the actual recovery. So, um, and the remodeling. So that's one really important thing to look at is those, those bigger picture factors of have I given myself an environment where I've got stimulus and repair? This is my third point. So first point is basic load management through exercise, getting it right for your capabilities. Second is load management for your macro environment, all of your stress factors. The, the third and final is nutrition. And nutrition is two-sided. Two we spoke about this the other day. It's very hard to heal wounds when you're in calorie deficit because your body is prioritizing the function of your organs and the turnover of the tissues in your organs prior to wound healing. So if you're in a really big calorie deficit, which may be that you're training really hard, like endurance athletes, very common to, to remain in a sustained calorie deficit. Uh, or if you're just really hitting it hard at the gym and like really training hard and then doing all these other things and you've got a really busy lifestyle and you're just simply not, you know, meeting your caloric needs, then it's, then wound prioritizing wound healing is going to be really, really low on the priority list. Second is the quality of the calories. You know, if you're eating a lot of crap, if you're eating a lot of junk food and promoting an environment in the body where your gut's unhealthy and all sorts of stuff is unhe uh, unhealthy and, you know, you, you might have, uh, inflammation and, and, and things like that then yeah it's not a very good um, um environment for for wound healing as well yeah so early on when i talked about different types of injuries we talked about those acute injuries um and then 
kind of more persistent and insidious injuries. Um, so I just want to, you're talking a lot about here about wound healing, which is really obviously an important part of managing acute injuries. But um, I think it's, it's been really interesting since I've started working, when I, I'm living half my life down the, the south coast of um, New South Wales in Australia. Um, and I've started to realize that I just, having worked at Unity Gym and working with the online um, members of Unity Gym, I just haven't seen many acute injuries because everyone is so switched on with their training, so consistent. They don't like, <laughs> they, yeah. they train really intelligently, have good like understanding of technique and everything. So like, I just don't see that many acute injuries. Um, so for a lot of the people who are listening to this, like, you know, this idea of wound healing is probably, you know, not actually as relevant um, because yeah with with these kind of more insidious onset things it's not like you've got this um, muscle tear that you've got to um you know have remodeling of the the, the tissues so i and this is kind of a bit of a teaser a bit of a precursor into the pain science side of things um that yeah with, when you're talking about all these other factors around like diet stress management sleep like these are huge in the um kind of pain science management side of things when you haven't and now you've no longer got a pathological change Oh, sorry, you've no longer got like a acute change of a, a an injury. You haven't got all those like inflammatory factors and everything. Now it's a um, this kind of more chronic um, pain sort of side of things. All of these factors are at play, but don't think about your injury as a wound. Think about it as like a um, yeah something separate to that. Where <laughs> the yeah, it's not like oh, I just need to um, yeah change the actual structure. It's starting to change your brain and your context around changing tra yeah, training. So. It's, a, it's a signal from the body that something's a little bit out of whack and you need to address it. Mm. Um, okay, guys. So let's, let's move into, um, uh, Sherry Larkin's question. Mm. How long does it take to heal post injury or surgery and what are the known loading limits? And this is, um, uh, first of all, let's just, uh, uh, discuss the different tissues in the body and the sort of rates that they heal at, because it obviously is going to like really, um, uh, that's going to, um, uh, I guess, teach people that it completely changes the, you know, depending on what tissue you've, you, if you've broken a bone, very different than yeah. if you've strained a, a calf or Achilles yeah. you know, or whatever. So why don't you give us a, give us a rundown on the different tissues and, and their sort of rates of remodeling. Yeah. So I like to think about the body in terms of active structures and passive structures. Your active structures are things that you can consciously um, control. So your muscles and then in turn your tendons because your tendons are touching muscle to bone. Um, and so they're your active structure, structures and then you've got your passive structures, which are bones, ligaments, cartilage, um, neurovascular structures, so your nerves and your um, blood vessels. So basically when we're thinking about um, active structures, they're things that have generally really good blood supply. Um, and so with muscles, they are the ones that will heal the quickest. So if you do a, um, a tear of your muscle, when you say a tear of your muscle, that might be anything from a few frayed um, muscular fibers up into like a complete rupture. So there's different grades there. So grade like one is a little, like a little bit grade two is really annoying because it's a massive variability. It could be yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of a bit unclear where grade two starts and stops. But then grade three is a complete rupture. So there's just an idea about the grading, but you know, you're typically thinking with a, with a muscle tear that over the course of, um, you know, somewhere between two and six weeks, like your muscles will generally have, have healed. So of course, when you've got full ruptures going on, there's some complications there and it's worth looking at, um, you know, surgery. <laughs> yeah. Potentially <laughs> surgery. Um, they but, don't usually find the each end and reattach on their own. No, no, <laughs> but there are actually some like, like if, sometimes people don't get their, like you've got two heads of your bicep and sometimes people rupture one and they just leave the other. Like it's, yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, it's not always surgery, but 
just something to we keep in mind. We actually had a guy train here for a while who'd ruptured both biceps on both sides. You remember that guy, Richard? Yeah, that's fine. And uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he just had these ridiculous looking biceps because one head of the bicep on both yeah. arms Popeye arms completely um, yeah. torn. Yeah. So the thing to think about with, like, with these rate of healing, I want you to think that it's not like you get to four weeks and then suddenly it's like, you've done your time. Now here's your muscle back. As I said, with... Um, tissue turnover you've got this constantly happening over time so just keep in mind that this is like and your body is in an ever-changing environment and what you do with it like every part of that time is going to matter it's not just about what you do at that six-week mark so with tendons um they have a lower blood supply um and they're generally going to be sort of a bit a bit longer and so remember we're talking about um tendon tears or ruptures here which is different to tendinopathy which is what we've talked about in a previous episode so if you're in a tendinopathy specific um thing this won't apply because with tendons it's typically more like four to eight weeks depending on the um, severity but that's kind of your, your like and, and potentially even slower with tendon depending on the ones so i know it's annoying having it depends it depends but <laughs> it's going to depend um so yeah just like we said before with tendinopathy like it's very different you can't just wait six weeks and wait for it to be better but if you have tendinopathy go listen to that episode um so for bones you're kind of looking more at like six to eight weeks ligaments kind of you know 10 to 12 weeks even because you've got much less blood supply and then cartilage they're avascular and um which means no blood supply and they're also not they don't have nerve supply either with cartilage so it's an interesting one when looking at arthritis people sort of see like on scans damage to the cartilage and therefore think oh, i'm going to have pain here because there's lots of damage but your cartilage doesn't have any blood supply or like very little bit like some parts have a very little bit and it doesn't really have nerve supply so you're not actually getting nerve signaling from your cartilage so just an interesting one there for you if you've so why do you feel um so much discomfort when you've got a like a cartilage tear in the um meniscus in your knee yeah so again it depends on where in the meniscus certain one certain parts have a bit more blood supply and yeah, have a right. bit more kind of interaction with the bone itself but I get, like that's probably a good one for the um pain science like yeah. uh, one which we'll get into um shortly yep, <laughs> in, the, yep. in the next episode probably um but then yeah there's also nerve um nerve damage can kind of heal like it's kind of more in like millimeters per day sort of thing for yeah um, right. uh, so yeah and it's pretty slow so let's just give you a kind of a big idea like big picture idea of the different tissue heal like tissue, tissue healing um rates but again think about this as for acute injury not for persistent insidious long-term stuff yeah one thing i've found and i'm one of the uh the, the fortunate people around here who have had quite a few um uh, sur sur surgical interventions <laughs> on my body because i tend to push myself to the limit and there's a lot of injury uh pain science uh and, and um, psychology that goes into the, the 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 concept of having surgery because you, you i find that once you've gone under the knife it is a much harder thing to get your mind around um, uh, healing, but the rate that they want you to get back on your feet and get moving again is almost instant. Like I was quite- it is. So now it's- It's instant, like, like literally. It, yeah, it, with ACL injuries these days, with knee replacement, it's like you wake up from surgery, great, the physio's standing there like, you yeah, ready to go? <laughs> let's go, exactly. literally, you know? And yeah. I, I, I was, it, was, it was hilarious when I had my knee reconstruction done now six years ago, um, eight, seven years ago. Uh, it was, I woke up in a, a recovery room and it, there was four guys in the recovery room and all of us had done ACL reconstruction from a soccer injury. It was hilarious. Oh and we were all yeah. comparing our, uh, you know, 
And the day, the day that you'd, you'd sort of woken up, the physios all, you know, all these young physios come in and like, right, let's go, Mr. You know, Bormeister and da, da, da. And, and, and they were just trying to get you to get up out of bed and stand. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I, out of all four of them, my leg just went and blew up and I ended up having some complications and carpal syndrome and all this sort of shit. And, uh, uh the other three were off and, and out and into the physio room, you know, and I was like, wait, I need to recover, you know, like, and it was a real, like head oh, so to get you, yeah. you know, to get around. Okay. I've got to get up and move now. And you feel this immense amount of pain and your body's telling you, no, you need to lie, you know, you got to lie down and sleep. And, but the reality is, is that your body needs to get on with healing. And part of that healing process is getting movement and getting blood flow and yeah. not losing and your getting, range of movement. Getting, it's basically like your brain needs to keep talking to those over your body Everything, and say yeah. like, Hey, we need this. Yeah. <laughs> Cause as we talked about even a week of bed rest can have a massive change on, um, yeah, basically, uh, you can lose your muscle because you're not getting that stimulus. You're only getting the, um, yeah. the turnover. So yeah, it's a really interesting one. And it happened like, yeah, you, the early loading has been shown again and again for basically every condition that it's the way to go is like, and obviously you've got a physio there doing it with you. So don't, yeah. <laughs> if you get surgery, don't think, oh, I need yeah. to be up. <laughs> and then still attached to all the different like lines yeah, machines and, and whatever. But, uh, yeah. And so with, this, um, I guess she's asking about what a um, known, known loading, loading limits. Limit. So yep. that's going to be something that you like, if you're doing it, you, it's very dependent on what you've had and the other context of what's going on in your body. Um, but, and what you were doing prior. Yeah, hundred percent. But it's going to be, that's going to be very much directed by the surgeon and the, the physio that's working with you specifically yep. for your post-op rehab. Um, but yeah, the key thing to yeah realize is with that, what you're doing prior to surgery is so, so, so important. And it's been, there's been lots of research in knee um, arthritis, particularly with um, looking at um, kind of pre-op rehab where people do like, because waiting lists are often quite long for, for knee replacements. It's sort of, you know, often like 12, um, 12 weeks of lead up where basically they've, they've like got people really stuck into strengthening rehab programs. And like, there's quite a high percentage of people who by the end of the 12 weeks, like, oh, I don't, really I don't actually need it. <laughs> but even if you do get it, all that work you've done before is going to be so beneficial yeah. to um, post. That was kind of m myself. I mean, I was, I, I did a lot of research and I was, I had great mentors like Tony um, to, to bounce ideas off. And, you know, everyone suggested, yeah, get, get as much strength as you possibly can before you go in. Cause you're going to lose a lot of it. Um, and the more you do now, the more, the, the quicker you'll, you'll bounce back, you know, basically. And I, and I, I literally PB'd my squat the day before I went into surgery. I okay. did 180 kilo back squat. Uh, and that was with no ACL and a whole bunch of damage to my meniscus and, and, uh, and, uh, MCL medial, um, li ligament as well. And, uh, you know, yeah, like most people were like, geez, dude, like I, I had Bass and Cam here going, you don't really need surgery. Like you've just done a 220 kilo deadlift and a 180 kilo squat in the same day. And you're going to get it, your knee torn apart tomorrow. Yeah, like, what are non, you doing? Non-operative management is getting more and more common in ACL. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other big conversation. There but you go, um, yeah, yeah with, with known load, learning limits, it's entirely going to depend on your context. And so this is not one that I'm going to give you specific. Specific. <laughs> what I on. can give you specific uh, feedback on is do as much as you possibly can always. Yeah. Then when you, when time comes, if in the event that you do hurt yourself and need to go in and, and get surgery, you will recover quicker. Yeah. And just specifically on what you can do as well for um, maintaining muscle mass and maintaining function when you've had injury or surgery um, is that there's so much like not only with what you can do with the other parts of your body, there's a lot you can do. Uh, we talked about briefly on the Tony Vitaji podcast with, um, with imaginary training and contralateral training where so much of 
as we talked about with early loading, it's a lot of telling your brain that we still need this, yeah. <laughs> um, this bodily structure. So it's interesting when you train the other limb and you train it hard, you send bilateral neural drive to your limbs. And that will basically, if you're training your left arm, uh, your left leg and you've had a right leg surgery, you'll actually maintain more muscle mass, you'll maintain more strength just by training the other leg. So see what you can do with um, that. And then also with imaginary training, if you really put yourself in a like in a space of where you're imagining being in the gym, you're imagining the sights, sounds, the smells of being in a gym and you really put a lot of effort into like imaginary sets. I know it sounds bonkers. I know I sound like I'm a total quack, but what it does is that your brain is like constantly like it's an amazing thing with that's why like you know rehearsing things in your head why um you know athletes do this like rehearsing things you actually have like a neural part of that which is sending that neural drive to those um to those structures and will help you maintain your muscle mass and help you maintain your strength yeah we used to do that in boxing before we before yeah. we had a so fight a skills, we visualize like, the yeah, entire people fight. have understood this about skills for a long time yeah. but yeah it's actually really involved with strength and, and so the most important thing, the most important thing, and this is what I'm going to finish on, is that you find someone to work with who is an expert, who has been through this sort of stuff themselves, and preferably someone who is involved in sport and uh, physical training themselves. Of course, I'm talking about a physiotherapist. And for anyone who finds themselves uh, uh, dealing with some sort of pain, doing, dealing with injury, or uh, coming back post-operation uh, surgery, surgical intervention, Phil can be found on Instagram at ADPT Physio. Uh, he's doing, they do lots of great posts, informative stuff on there. Uh, and you can book in for an in-person or online session with Phil at adpt.com physio, A-D-P-T-P-H-Y-S-I-O. I strongly encourage that you do so and work with someone who is qualified to help give you the right advice. And yeah, will... telehealth have been fantastic for, for working with patients. And I'm just going to say for those who do have like conditions, like, oh, is this something you can really manage with um, online physio? Uh, yeah, if, if it is, like if you book in and we have a chat and I say like, no, nah, this is one to work with someone online, I won't charge you. Like yeah. I'll, I'll give you the advice and I'll, I'll tell you, I'll look up your area and give you advice on, on, on who to see. And I've done that with quite a few people who've booked in where it's like, no, this is something where it's like, we want more supervision. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just even just good to get that positive reinforcement and encouragement and to get over in, in and around the pain science uh, hurdles that you, the, the, the psychology of, of hurting yourself. Anyway, that's all we've got time for today. That was an epic discussion. I hope you all found that as informative as I did. And uh, we will see you in the next episode. Thank you very much, Phil. Always a pleasure. See ya.